Good evening. So nobody wants a, a picture of us for $20? Auction it off right now. Zephan. <laughs> Anybody want 25, 25, 25? <laughs> oh, my land. <laughs> oh, praise God. <laughs> you guys are funny. Well, we're continuing on with our, our series of uh, healing and uh, just uh, walking in, in faith for healing. And so we're going to turn to a couple of passages of scripture that I want to read through. Uh, this evening, one is in Matthew 15. Matthew 15, verse 21. Father, we thank you for the word of God that shows us the truth. Lord, that, that we can establish ourselves upon truth, not upon uh, the world's principles or the world's ways, but the truth of what you have established by your word, that even the heavens are established by your word. And Father, that everything hinges and hangs on your word. Father, we thank you, Father, for just uh, what, you're, what you're imparting into us, what you're planting in our spirit. And through this month, we pray that faith would be increased, Lord, that there would just be uh, an unlocking, an unveiling, and a disrupting of the enemy's uh, philosophies and every stronghold that the enemy has planted in the minds of people, that that would be broken up like, like a rock, as a hammer breaks a rock, that your word would go forth and do such. We thank you, Father, for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Matthew 15. In uh, verse 21, it says, leaving that place, Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon. A Canaanite woman from that vicinity came to him, crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is suffering terribly from demon possession. Jesus didn't answer a word. So his disciples came to him and urged him, send her away, for she keeps crying out after us. And he answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. The woman came and knelt before him. Lord, help me, she said. And he replied, it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to their dogs. Yes, Lord, she said. But even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. And then Jesus answered, woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. And her daughter was healed from that very hour. Another version says, uh, woman, you have answered uh, by faith. Or woman, uh, great answer, I think was actually the amplified version or, or one of the versions, uh, maybe NLT. But it's like, good answer. And it's interesting because this Canaanite woman, uh, she knew that she was not in the, she wasn't a Jewish woman. She was of another nation. So her God was not their God unless she had 
heard of Jesus and chose to follow him. But it's not like any of the other nations. Their, their heritage, their past, their ancestors did not follow the God of Israel. And so when Jesus was sent, you have to understand that Jesus was sent through the Jewish nation to Israel because that's his descent. He was a, of Jewish, uh, he, he was the, of the Jewish nation from the tribe of Judah and of David. So when he was coming, he was coming to preach, to teach, to minister to the Jewish people, the Israelites, not until his resurrection, not until the veil was torn, not until uh, redemption was made for all mankind were, were the Gentiles brought into that. But this woman found a loophole is what I like to call it. She found a loophole. And it's interesting because she said, yes, Lord, but even the, the dogs get the crumbs from the master's table. And he did not turn her away. He did not, and in fact, he called this woman, you have great faith. And there's only two times that Jesus remarks about great faith. This is one of them. And it's interesting because both instances, he comments that they have great faith, but neither one of them were from Israel. So it really makes me think, why is that? Why is it that both of these instances and even other instances where people would come to Jesus and many times they weren't of Israel? In fact, of the ten lepers, one of them, when the one came back, he said, why of this foreigner, he calls him a foreigner, that he's the only one out of the, the ten that came back. And so there's a, a, a great faith that was stirred in the people, and it wasn't just uh, the, the Jewish nation. It, were the, it was the people from the, the nations outside of Israel that heard about Jesus, what he was doing, and they came to receive from him. Now, it's interesting to me because I think sometimes when we're in church and we're under... Um, a religious mindset, it can impact us sometimes. And we can develop philosophies that begin to attack or begin to get seeded into our mind that we make up or that the enemy throws in there. And then all of a sudden, we're thinking religiously. And it, it hinders us from receiving. And so this other, let's go ahead and read the other passage before I, I go any further. Flip backwards to Matthew 8. Matthew 8. So you see, first of all, this Canaanite woman, was, she was not involved uh, in with, the, with the Jewish teachings. She was not uh, taught by the Pharisees. So she, didn't, she wasn't inundated with all kinds of religious uh, ideas. And you have to understand, the Jewish, the Jewish people were often inundated with all kinds of laws and regulations and rules that the Pharisees had handed down to them. And you can't do this and you can't do that. And many of them, in fact, the majority of them were things that they had created themselves. It wasn't even necessarily the laws of God. It was like, here's the law of God, and to make sure that you don't slip on that, we're going to back it up and create this law and this law and this law so that you would have to go through this, this, and this before you ever get to that. And so there were laws that man created to, to put an extra burden on the people. 
And so there were many, many Jewish people. I just imagine that 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 religiousness, that mindset became a burden. In fact, Jesus even said to the Pharisees that that you're not allowing anybody else to enter heaven and, and you're taking them to hell with you because of your thinking and what you're teaching. And so let's read uh, about this centurion before we go forward any further. The faith of the, of the centurion, which is a Roman soldier, uh, in verse 5, chapter 8, verse 5. When Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him asking for help. Lord, he said, my servant lies at home paralyzed and in terrible suffering. And Jesus said to him, I will go and heal him. So Jesus, I, did you read this this morning? I think this is one of them that you read this morning. So Jesus was willing to go. He was willing to go to the house because that's what most people expected. I, I need you to touch the person that, because that's where my faith is at, right? That, that there has to be a physical contact. You have to be there. And, and the centurion, he responds differently than what everybody else had responded. The centurion replied, Lord, I don't deserve to have you come under my roof, but just say the word, and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority, with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes, and that one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was astonished and said to those following him, I tell you the truth, I have not found anyone in Israel with such, what, great faith. With such great faith. So here's that second instance where Jesus says, here's another person of great faith. And he was a Roman centurion. Verse 11, I say to you that many will come from the east and the west and will take their places at the feast with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the subjects of the kingdom will be thrown outside into darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then Jesus said to the centurion, go. It will be done just as you believed it would. And his servant was healed at that very hour. So where his faith was, that's, that's where the healing was released. He said, just send your word. You don't even need to come. I don't deserve to have you under my house, under my roof. Just send the word because he understood authority. He understood that Jesus was a man under authority, under the authority of his heavenly father. He understood authority because he was under authority and he was a man of authority. So he was used to giving commands. He was used to this concept of giving a command and expecting it to be done. And so he had a revelation based upon the context of a role that he played in society. And because he had that revelation, it was all he needed. It was the, the authority of the word. The authority of the word. He said, just send your word and I know it will be done. And so Jesus says, go. Your faith has made, or made them whole. They're, they're healed. So he went carrying that word. He went relying on that word. He carried that word with him. So it wasn't like he left and said, oh, you know, Jesus said go, but I don't know. Maybe I should have stuck around a little bit. Maybe I should have had him lay hands on me. Maybe I should have gotten a prayer cloth. Maybe, oh, is this going to work? 
oh, you know, I'm going to be traveling all the way back home. And what if it didn't? And what if, what if my servant is dead? And then what am I going to, you know, he didn't do that. He said, just send your word and I know it's going to happen because I'm a man under authority. I am a man of authority and I understand how this works. You send the word and things happen. You send the word and that word is what carries power. It carries authority. And so backing up just a moment with what I was saying earlier, you know, these, these two instances with great faith being exercised out of two people that were not under the Jewish law and traditions, they had not been steeped under uh, a lot of law and a lot of religiousness. So it's interesting because it's like they were able to receive easily. They were able to receive. They heard of this man but they weren't coming in the fashion of, well, if I do this, and if I do this, and if I do this, and I got to make sure that this, this, and this in place. Well, what if, what if, he, what if he doesn't let me, you know, come near him? What if, what if he doesn't respond to me? What if, you know, there's all of these things. Well, I'm not worthy. I haven't been to the priest to be cleansed. I haven't done this. I haven't done that. There's, there could be all kinds of things that come in their mind to attack them in our mind. There are things today that people deal with. I'm not righteous enough. I'm unworthy. Well, God only heals the big things. You know, he, he only heals the big things like cancer. Oh, no, God only, God on, he's not going to heal my little thing like a headache or a cold. Or, oh, I have, I have faith for the cold, but I don't have faith for the cancer. See, it, it can happen in all sorts of ways in people's minds, but those stipulations are not in the word of God. Not, nowhere in the word of God is he limited and, and says, well, I can only do big miracles. I can only do small miracles. I can only do for people that, that have this box, this box, and this box checked off. I will only do for people that show up to church X amount of times. I only do for those that serve. I only do for, and we can get all of these things in our mind that the reason that God's not going to heal or may not heal is because of this, this, and this. And we, can, and we can get religious in our mindset. None of those things are in there. There is no requirement other than what? Just believe. Just believe. That's all he asks is just believe. You know, there are times that people won't even pray for the sick because, well, they're not saved. And just as Pastor Brad said this morning, you know, they're, they're, God, God doesn't rate whether or not someone can be healed on whether or not they're saved. Now, obviously, you want them to come to Christ, but God loves people, and he wants to show his goodness and his love to people. And here's the thing. Ultimately, his love, he wants his love to draw them in, and it's not just solely for the purpose of loving them but it's for the purpose of using them. Because God's spirit, just as even a demonic spirit, has to have a vessel that it resides in to be able to manifest. The Holy Spirit is looking for people to reside in. So why? The glory of God can be revealed on the earth. So he's looking for people. He draws them in because he wants them to be a life changer. He wants them to be a world changer. So it's not just for the, yes, he will heal because he loves you, but it goes further than that. He wants to use you. He wants, to, he wants you to be able to say, you know what God did for me? And he'll, he can do it for you. You know what God did? And he, he transformed my life so he can do it for you. 
And so the Lord draws us in and shows us his goodness so that we can be a light for him to other people. So we can't get into a, a religious mindsets. We can't even think like, well, you know, God's holding. And I think this is something that, that happens sometimes. I'm trying to convince God to heal me. You know, it's like if I do this enough, if I fast enough, if I pray enough, if I, if I you know, go through these re religious acts enough to convince God to heal me. But the thing is, God's not holding his healing back from his children. He says what? Healing is the children's bread. He wants his children healed. Like I said, why? So you can be an example of who he is on this earth. If someone is inhibited in some way and, and they're, they're, only, they're not able to maximize what they're, they're doing on earth because they're limited, they're hindered by a physical thing, then they're not able to shine the glory of God to the best of their ability. But if healing is the children's bread, he's not holding back healing. It's the enemy that is trying to keep people in captivity and bondage. And if we have it in our mind that it's God that I need to convince, then we're, it's going to cause a problem. Because now we think, I'm trying to talk God into my healing. I'm trying to convince him that this is a good idea. And <laughs> he's like, I'm all for it. I sent my son. He died on the cross. He bled. And he's given you resurrection life. So I'm not holding it back. So we have to get mad at the enemy and realize that it's the enemy that tries to keep people in bondage. It's not God. We don't have to talk God into it. It's available. It's there for us. In fact, it's supposed to be working in us. Go to Ephesians. Let's turn over to Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. It says, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more, than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work where? Within us. His power at work within us. That means we have a part to play. His power has got to work within us. And that's where we have to step up and, and say, okay, I've got to let this manifest out of my life. I've got to allow this power to come out. And, and again, that's where I think a lot of times we're, we're waiting on God to, to give us something. He's already given. He's already bought and paid. He's already done all of the work. That's why it says that Jesus sat down at the right hand of the Father. His job is done. He said, it is finished. And he sits down. People don't sit down if they're working. They sit down when they're done. And so he said, it's finished, and he was seated at the right hand of the Father, and he intercedes for us. But he's not saying, oh, you know what, I've got more work to do. You know, I've got I've to provide for people. No, he's already provided. So we just have to receive it. We have to believe it because it's already been done. And so it says, according to his power that is at work 
within us. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. So we have to realize that his work or his power is at work within us to do immeasurably more than what we can ask, think, or imagine. So we have to take the limitations off, limitations off of our mind, uh, of what's holding us back. And if we think sometimes, what is it that, that's hindering me? What are the thoughts that come in and attack my, my why I can't receive? Does it have validity? Is it truth? Did God say that in his word? Is there anything scripturally that backs that up? Because if there's not, then we have to kick it out. But the thing is, we've got to develop truth around it. One thing I think that, that a lot of people um, don't understand is, is, is because they don't feel worthy or valued enough. They feel that they have to earn their healing. They have to earn uh something and, and, and they don't believe in the, they're trying to work out their own self-righteousness by works. And the thing is, it's not about how many times we do something, how many times we pray. And in fact, let's go ahead and turn to uh, let's turn to Romans 8. Romans 8. I want you to see these scriptures so that you can understand because this really has to do with every aspect of our life receiving anything in faith. Because if we doubt God because of our standing and we think, well, I'm not in, in uh, you know, I, I'm not good enough, I'm, I'm not worthy enough, I'm not, uh, I haven't done enough good things, I'm not doing these things enough, I'm not doing all the spiritual disciplines enough, then, then we can talk ourselves out of, of, of the, the goodness of God. And, well, you know, God's not going to give me this because I'm not, I'm not performing enough. And in Romans 8, look at verse 31 and 32. It says, what then shall we say in response to this? Is God, if sorry, if God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for, uh, for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? All things. If he gave his son for us, well, then healing the other things that you're believing for in faith is nothing compared to his son. I mean, even we in human nature would give everything else before we would give our children, right? No, no, take this. Take that. Take, you know, the car. Take the, you know, but don't take my child. He said he gave his most precious gift, which, which was his son. So why would he not give us all the other lesser things? And when we understand that in, his, in the Father's love, that he already gave us the thing that mattered the most. So everything else is a bonus, but he's not holding it back from us. He gave us his most. He already looked at you and said, they're worth my son. 
Because I desire the relationship. I desire them to be reconciled with me. I desire there to be restoration in our relationship. And so if he gave you his son, he's willing to give you all other things. And the thing is, if you, if you are putting yourself in condemnation, if you're allowing the enemy to speak condemnation into your life, you're not going to be able to stand in faith before the Father. And he tells us to come into the throne room with boldness and with confidence. And so if we understand that that's how he wants us to come in, boldly into his throne room, boldly, not, not crawling on the ground like I'm a worm, yeah, we, we're all worms without Christ. Yes, we're nothing without Christ. But with Christ, the, we're clothed in Christ. We're hidden in Christ. We are the righteousness of God in Christ. And I want you to see that too. Because I want you, if you don't have that uh, in your spirit yet, then you need to get it in your spirit. Turn to 2 Corinthians 5. Twenty. We'll read twenty and twenty-one. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. See, he didn't call you just to save you. He called you and gave you an assignment. An ambassador. That's a that's a pretty important assignment. Not everybody has position of ambassador. We do in God's kingdom, but you know, when we look at uh, the worldly kingdoms, you know, that's a, a rare position for people to have. But God calls us ambassadors for him. And it says, as though God were making his appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. That's Jesus. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So righteousness is a legal term because it means in right standing you can only come before the king or before uh, someone of of great power and authority only if you're in right standing if you've been given permission if you've been giving a, a waiver to come in you've been approved to come in you've shown the documentation nobody can just walk into the president's office and just say hey i want to want to chill with the president today i want to hang out and ask him a few questions your, your butt's going to get booted off of the property. you got to go through certain uh, legal ramifications and show identification and background check and all of that before you can get in. And even then, it's not like they're just going to let anybody in. But with God, when we are saved, we become the righteousness of God. We become in right standing. It's a legal term. Right standing. How? Not by our own works but through Christ, through the work of Christ. So that's why we can come boldly into the throne room. That's why we can come in with our petitions. That's why we can come in and not be ashamed of what we're asking and know that we are going to receive anything that we ask of him because we are in right standing with him. He's already living within us. And so this legal term, see, God's not moved. See, 
people often think, well, I've got to move God emotionally and get him convinced, right? Like emotionally. But the thing is, God is moved legally by his word. He, he is a, a lawgiver. He is a judge. And so even at the end of time, there's judgment that happens, right? Okay, his word is, is the law book. It is what he has proclaimed and declared as, as holy and not holy, right and, and not right, things that are, that are uh, worthy of him and not worthy of him. There are principles and laws in this, in this earth that have come to be only because he said so, only because he declared it. So when he declares that you are made the righteousness of God through Christ and belief in Christ, well, then that means you're hidden in Christ. That means when you come into the throne room, then you stand before God in right standing, in legal standing. It has nothing to do with him emotionally, whether he's having a good day or a bad day. He's not like us. <laughs> well, I feel like being around them today, or, you know, I really don't feel like being around them today. God's not, God's not like that. Yeah, hallelujah. <laughs> that would be awful if we had to, like, you know, figure out whether or not God was in a good mood that day or not, and whether or not we should you know, stay clear of God today. He's, a, he, he's in a bad mood. No, he, he, he goes by legal standing. And so he's not moved emotionally, even though he has emotions, but he's not going to go against his law because of something he's feeling. In fact, it's his law is what he, he abides to. It's his law is what he, that's his standard. Even Jesus was moved with compassion, but he operated within the law. All right, so... Who is the righteousness of God? Praise God. We got that? Okay. So let's take this a step further. Many times uh, what happens in, in the covenant concerning Christianity is we get saved, and then we start going by our feelings. Well, I don't feel saved today. I don't feel like I'm, I'm, you know, all that in my walk with God. But here's the thing. If it's based on your feelings, then the blood of Jesus Christ doesn't matter. So if the covenant was made through the blood of Jesus Christ, it was a covenant. The best way that we can understand covenant is marriage. So when we get married to someone, if I wake up three days after my, my marriage, my wedding ceremony, and I don't feel married that day because I'm in, you know, whatever mood, it doesn't mean I'm not married, right? I'm still married, whether I, I feel it or not feel it. And that's the thing. A lot of times we don't, we don't treat the covenant of God that way. We don't treat it like it doesn't matter how I feel. It doesn't matter that I might not be uh, feeling all spiritual today. It, it doesn't, it doesn't uh, cancel out any of the, the rights that I have as a child of God. It doesn't cancel out his word. It doesn't cancel out his love for me. It does not nullify 
And so our standing before God, it doesn't cancel the covenant. And our covenant right, part of our covenant right is healing. It's not the only thing. See, there's a lot in the, the covenant right of sozo, salvation, the word sozo, where we get uh, the word salvation or soteria. And there's in that, yes, there's the deliverance from the eternity of hell, but then there's also deliverance on earth. There's safety. There's prosperity. There's healing. There's restoration. There's peace. All of these things come in the package of sozo salvation so every time you read that word salvation that's what should be going through your mind not just I got saved back in 1992 not just the act of receiving Christ but the salvation package of everything that he bought and paid for including my healing it's there it's there it's already been purchased there is no talking him into it there's no uh See, the problem is we, we get married, and we understand that a lot easier uh, in an earthly sense, but we don't understand whenever we, we come into the covenant of making Jesus Christ our Lord and Savior, we fail to many times to read the covenant. And so that's where, that's where the problem comes in, is because if we don't read the covenant book, then we don't know what's, what's part of the contract. We don't know what's covered. We don't know what's ours. And, of course, the, the Bible says that, that we don't, if we don't have the knowledge of something, if we don't have the vision of something, then we perish. And it's no different. If we don't have the revelation of his word, then we will perish because we don't have the revelation. And so we have to get the revelation. And we have to kick out anything that does not align itself with the word of God. There's a tendency when we're talking about faith. If the enemy can't get you off course uh, in your walk with God and, and get you veered off completely, what he likes to try to do, if you're believing in something or trying to believe something in faith, he, he tends to try to get you to go all one way or another between these two things. Either you have a position of it's all spiritual and all faith, or it's all works. And let me explain this. When it comes to all spiritual and all faith, what I'm meaning is I don't have to do anything and nothing is required of me at all because it's by faith. And so, therefore, I'm just going to sit back and I'm just going to sit here and I'm just going to believe. And I'm just going to, that's all I'm going to do. I'm just going to sit and believe. And, and there's nothing required of me. God's not asking me to do anything because it's just, it's just him. It's all him. And the other side is all works. That I got to do this. I got to do this enough. I've got to, you know, perform in this, this, and this way to get God convinced that I'm worthy of this thing. But the thing is, with God, see, faith without what? Works is dead. It doesn't, there, there is no faith without works. It's empty. It's hollow. The two have to come together. So you must have faith in the word of God, and you must have works. See, your salvation did not take works because the work was done on the cross by Jesus. 
But when it comes to our faith and walking out our faith, there are things that God is going to ask us to do. Because it's our works that show what we believe. In fact, it's what comes out of our life. We can say, in fact, it doesn't even matter what we, what we say many times. Uh, I mean, it does, but what I'm saying is we can say whatever, but if our actions are not backing up what we're saying, then our faith is nothing. We can say, oh, I'm, I'm believing for this, I'm believing for that, but our actions are, are proving otherwise, and everything we're doing uh, completely contradicts what we're, what we're saying, then it's not faith. We've just, we've just, we're doing works, but there's no faith. We can also stand in faith and say that I'm believing for this, I'm believing for this, but I'm not corresponding any action with it. And therefore, it's, it's hollow. There's, it's dead faith. It's dead faith. So we have to realize, what role do I need to play? What, what action do I need to do to correspond with this? And is it coming from here? Like, is it in me enough that the actions are naturally coming out of my life? Like, I'm convinced that I'm convinced. I know that I know that this is coming to pass. God, God is providing this for me. Or is it something that's always on the horizon? You understand what I'm saying? Oh, we're believing for this someday. Someday. Someday we're, we're going to do this. But see, faith flows, the anointing flows where your faith is at. If your faith is someday, then the anointing says, okay. If your faith is five years, then the anointing says, amen. So wherever your faith is, that's where the anointing flows. That's why Jesus time and time again said, your faith has made you whole. Because it was the faith of the people. It was the faith of them reaching out. It was the faith of them coming. It was See, Jesus didn't go around knocking on people's doors. Hey, you guys have anybody in here to heal? You guys have anybody in your house that needs anything? Because it's a, it's a statement of faith to come to receive. And so there was, a, there was a faith that is shown, just like the, the paralytic man with the friends. That was an action of faith. We're going to take you to this man named Jesus. What they did, tearing up somebody's roof and lowering down a man in the middle of the room, that was a faith step. If they weren't believing, then, then all of that that they were doing was a really good show. <laughs> Because that, that was going to uh, cause, some, cause some probably uh, division and some friendships, if not. But God healed, and, and the, the, present or the, the power of the Lord was present to heal. And so everybody's, you know, for the most part, unless they're Pharisees and they're mad about it. But it, it's a joyous occasion. This man that, that was paralyzed is now walking. But it, it took faith. That's why you can see faith. You can see faith on people because it's what they're doing. It's the action that's, that's 
uh, being taken. And I want to even say that it's the voice, too. But I got to be careful when I say that because we in, in Christianity have gotten really good over the last 20 years with the word message of being able to say things like, yeah, I'm believing for. But the, the thing is, every action that they're showing does not line up with what they say they're believing for. So even our words, we, we have to make sure that is this in me or am I just saying this? Is this coming out of me because I truly believe? Or is it, am I just uh, saying this but my actions are really responding in fear? Or my actions are really responding in the safeguard of the world's ways? I'm, I'm guarding myself in this, in this area. I'm saying this, but I've got plan A, B, C, D, and E all lined up. Faith and works must be enmeshed as one. It's like you can't, you can't take one apart from the other. They are woven together. And in fact... It's faith that motivates the works. If you understand that, it's faith that motivates the works to happen. It's not works and there's no faith and you're just all in works, but you're not being motivated by faith. You're just being motivated by what you know is the right thing to do. This is an important key. Do you understand what I'm saying? Because sometimes people can get into the works mode of, of saying and repeating and not see the breakthrough and wonder why. But you've, you've got to get it in you to the point that, that it, is, it is what you believe. It's more normal for you to believe that way. The word of God, what the word says about your situation, just like that man, that centurion, that says, just say the word, and I'm hanging on that. Uh, that's my confession. That is my profession. That is what I cling to. And then I'm going to walk that out. Nope. He's healed. He's healed. I believe when that man walked home, when that centurion walked home, that's what he was believing for all the way. My servant is healed. He said so. That my servant is healed. He is, he's, it's already done. He's going to be healed when I, by the time I get home, he's good. So there's a, faith and works must be enmeshed together. Let's turn over to uh, Hebrews. The book of Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews 11. And I know you think I'm going to read verse 1, but I'm not. I'm going to read verse 3. Hebrews 11.3. By faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command. So that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. What is seen was not made out of what was visible. What was it made out of then? The word of God. When God spoke, it came into existence. But there was nothing that he said there. He didn't say, I'm going to mix a little bit of this and a little bit of that. No, it was spoken into existence. He framed the world by his words. 
So our faith creates the framework. Our, our works come in behind and creates that skeleton for the power of God to come in. It has to have the vessel. The vessel is what you're, what you're saying and what you're doing. It's not enough to just say it. There's got to be the action. That action becomes the skeleton. It becomes the vessel. It becomes the thing that holds where the anointing can flow. Does that make sense? Are you following? So the things that are not seen are created by what is not visible. It's not seen with the eye. And see, that's why the Bible says that we walk by faith and not by sight. Because if we're walking by sight, then we're, we're only working with what's already visible. But faith works with the invisible. Faith works with, with what you see in your mind's eye with what's in your heart, with what's in your spirit. And you're like, and I don't know if you've ever like resisted something before because it's like that's your belief. That's You know that you know. Like the word of God says this about me, and I know that this person said this, but I don't receive it because that's not my story. That's not what the word of God says, and you're resisting it spiritually. And you're declaring something different. You're walking that out. And it's the same thing. It's the belief. See, faith is a series of beliefs that you put into action that actually is the foundation of your belief system. So people can see on you what your belief system is only when you're pressed in it. Because if there's no reason for it to come out, then it doesn't. I don't know what your belief systems are around certain things unless I come and I press you on it. And I ask you, what do you believe about this? Or if I put some pressure on that, that aspect of your life and then I can see by your actions what you believe, how you respond, what, what, what is your character, what is in you. See, what, what comes out of us on the inside, what comes out only when there's pressure put so that's the thing. When we come under pressure, when we come under maybe attack by the enemy or some pressure from the world or uh, maybe resistance because the rest of the world is flowing down the broad path, and now all of a sudden I've got a decision to make. If I step over here and say, no, I'm choosing to go the narrow path. I'm not going to look like this because the word of God is too precious to me, and I want to please him. And so I'm choosing this way. Then everybody can see what I believe because they see very clearly I'm not going with the flow. They see what my core is. They see what my values, what my beliefs are. But if I come over here and just kind of merge into what everybody else is doing, well then what do I truly believe? I'm believing like everybody else. And in my mind, I might even sit there and say, yeah, you know, really I think this is, this is best, but you know, I don't want to ripple the waters. What do you really believe then? Because you will respond to what you really believe in. So by faith, the worlds were framed by the word of God. The invisible was made visible by what he spoke. And so we have to do the same thing. We have to build the framework. We have to build the skeleton. We have to build the vessel for God to pour the anointing into. And that's why when it comes to, the th to even things like healing, there's not a formula. 
There are certain things that he gives us, points of contact, things like that, anointing oil, communion. There are those elements that are like points of contact that we can put our faith and, and attach ourselves to. But if, if you have to be so sensitive to the fact, too, that, that God wants to have a personal relationship with you. And so there might be things in your life that he's already saying, I want you to do this, and I want you to do this. And if we ignore that, then we may not receive what it is that we're, we're needing at that moment because he's trying to walk us through something or he's trying to speak to us. There could even be uh, things concerning our life or our health that's because we're taking something in our system too much. And he's saying, get rid of this, take care of this, because this in the long run will, will damage your system. And, and that's, yeah, that's practical. But our bodies are physical bodies. We have a spirit and we respond spiritually to God. But these bodies can only take so much. So we have to take care of them. That is a practical sense. If I choose to only drink soda and then come over here and, and pray for God to just, like, cancel out all the soda that I drink, and I'm not going to drink water for 20 years, and I'm just going to pray that, that God, you know, I'm just believing that you're going you're gonna to make me healthy despite what, what I do over here. See, God tells us to have common sense, too. We're to take care of our bodies, we're to, he has given us something that is, these are jars of clay, but we got to take care of the jars of clay because they're brittle. <laughs> jars of clay crack easy. And so our, the, how we take care of this vessel that the Holy Spirit wants to work through, he has given us that responsibility. And there are plenty of ministers that have, you know, over time, as you watch them, they they. Over time, they say, even I remember Kenneth Copeland saying, you know, I got to a point where I realized I got I to gotta take care of my body, and I have to, like, walk, and I have to exercise every day. If I want the longevity that God has promised to me, then I've got to take care of what he's given me. That was just an extra on the side. But expect the anointing and the power to flow through your faith. Faith is the connection for the anointing to flow through. Faith is the connection for the anointing to flow through. Let's finish up with 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Let's, let's go to chapter 5. Chapter 5, verse 4. For while we are in this tent, meaning this flesh, we groan and are burdened because we do not wish to be unclothed, but to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling, so that what is mortal 
may be swallowed up by life. Now it is God who has made us for this very purpose and has given us the spirit as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. But I want to focus on that last part where it says, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. Yeah, the completion of that does happen whenever we uh, go to be with Christ. But this can happen here and now where the more that we lay aside the things of the flesh, the more that the very life of God, the spiritual things of God, swallow up the things of this earth. So that as we walk things out, yes, it's a choice. When, in fact, that word life is the same as the resurrection life of Jesus Christ. It's the Zoe life, the God kind of life, the God-breathed life, the very life that gives us even existence is, is the, the life of God. But that life of God, the resurrection power of God, can flow into a person's life when they operate in the things of the spirit and not in, in what is easy in, in the ways of the world, in the ways of the flesh. And so when we choose to operate by the spirit, and that's why I said even the spirit can give you things that are practical that say, do this, do this, and do this. And so the Holy Spirit can speak to us practically or he can speak to us in an area where he's telling us to exercise something, walk this out, walk this word out in faith, stand upon the word, locate the word for your, for your situation, for your life, and stand upon it. Don't, don't back down. In fact, in ele uh, Hebrews 11, where it talks in 11.1, 1, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the assurance of things not yet seen. It's the, the, that surety or that assurance of things not yet seen, that evidence of things not yet seen. What is that evidence? It's the deposit of the Holy Spirit that's put in you so that you know that you know. It's in here. It's the evidence of things not yet seen. I can't see it yet, but I, am, I have the evidence on the inside of me, the assurity on the inside of me that I know that I know that it's there. And so that's why it says, even before that, now faith is, that's actually meaning a therefore, because if you read the, the, the part above that, which is in another chapter, chapter 10, it's talking about how we will not shrink back. We are not of those who shrink back in the faith, but instead we are bold and we're confident in the things of God, and we walk by faith and not by sight. Therefore, faith is. And so he's, he's reiterating what faith is. He's defining what faith is, and, and he's showing, like, here, here we have faith. We're not those that are, that are going to uh, shrink back. We're not going to run. We're not going to hide. We're not going to look like the rest of the world. We're going to be like a light. We're going to shine when the world is growing dimmer. So therefore, faith is the assurance of things hoped for. That word hope doesn't mean, well, like, you know, really hope it comes to pass. I'm, I'm hoping that happens. No, the biblical word of hope, it means the thing that I'm anticipating, the thing that I am looking forward to, because I know that it's happening. And when you look forward to something, if you tell your kids at a young age that they're going to the carnival, do they go, mm, okay, yeah, we're really, 
looking forward to that. No, you tell them they're going to the zoo. You tell them they're going to go do something fun. They're like, yeah, and they go. To, they want to be the first ones to go tell their brother and sister, we're going to the zoo. We're going. Mom said we're going to the zoo on Thursday, and they're like, really? And then they come in. Why? Because they want to get mom's word. Mom, did you say we're going to the zoo on Thursday? Yes, we are. Yeah, and so then they're all excited, and they're all screaming. But they didn't want to say, well, I don't really believe that mom meant it. Well, I don't really think that, you know, I, I hope we go. I hope that's true. No, they believed that mom, what she said was true. And that's what God wants us to do. That's the faith like a child. That we believe that God says what he means. And so that hope is, yes, I have my healing in Jesus' name. Yes, I have prosperity. Yes, it's mine. It's my title deed according to the word of God because this is what's written about me. It is mine according to the word of God. That's how we're to respond to the word of God. That it's not, well, I hope so. It is, it is my blessed hope. It is my assurance because it is, I have it now. I have it now. And when you have it now, it's kind of like in the bank. I can say, you know what? I don't have that money on me right now, but I'm going to get that for you. I'll get it for you tomorrow. And, and Stephen, he's sitting there, and he's, he's not going, well, I don't trust her, or at least I hope not. But <laughs> I think you know me well enough, don't you, Stephen? You trust me? Okay, so if I, if I say it's in the bank, it's, it's, it's deposited in the bank. And I'm going to go get it. And then I'm going to manifest it to Stephen. So it's the same type of thing. Even if it's not manifested yet, you have it. It's in the bank. So you're declaring it as if you already have it. It's not as if uh, we're believing in this. Hopefully it happens in a couple of years. We're just waiting to see. Because then faith is what? Okay, amen. couple years. Wrote that, wrote that down. couple years. But in a couple years, you're still saying in a couple years. Okay, so add on a couple more years. Yes and amen. 